Uh-oh. I'm pretty sure it caught most of what you were saying about Bill O'Brien. So I'll edit around if it needs to be. Um, give it a one, two, three. Well, I also have it recorded as well on my end. Um... Welcome back to a long-delayed episode of the Packy Run Podcast. My name is AJ Dillygaff Lagamina. And I am Dan Gillygaff. <laughs> and we are the Gillygaffs. Um, it's been a minute. It's been a minute since we've done this. Um, it's been less of a minute since we've seen each other. I think we've actually seen each other two times since the last episode we recorded. So yes, um, it's been a while. Um, we don't have any really good excuses. Um, we've just, you know, sometimes life gets a little bit busy and, um, no, I I mean, (laughs) we're in our late twenties. This started because we had the time to do it during the pandemic and, um, yeah, it's just how it goes. We got, we got busy, but we are, we are here. We are not, I wouldn't go so far as to say thriving, but we're here. So enjoy, uh, enjoy the next however long we're able to record. Yeah. And, I uh, mean, hopefully it's not too late. Um, I mean, we, we love making this content. <laughs> we love making this show, but yeah, I mean, we, we try to, we try to do it when we can. Um, and this is when we can. <laughs> We've reached the point. So, um, well, where to start? <coughs> Well, so what have, last, what have, well, what have you been up to lately? Um, oh man, I have been uh, I have been fully committed to the job search, which for somebody in my position is kind of a uh, it's an uphill battle. It's a lot of automated messages that go, "Hey, thanks for applying. Um, we don't think you're right for the position, and due to the fact that we are." generated by chat gpt we will not be uh we will not be giving you any feedback about your application you're just you know sorry buddy your sol yeah that that how it be um man the job market is it's 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 been kind of crazy lately um especially especially for creatives well especially for creatives and like the music space like I, i mean for a while i was looking for a new job um thankfully i just got a pretty substantial raise from my job so we'll probably be sticking around for at least a little bit longer um still looking for that that um you know kind of freelance work here and there but i mean every single time i go onto linkedin there's always somebody saying okay so today i got laid off (laughs) i'm like damn that that sucks yep yeah Um, it's been that part of things has been an uphill battle um the the personal life has been in free fall uh basically since the last time we talked so if there are we're not going to get there into are, that yeah we don't have to get too far into it but if there are any hot singles in the area oh my you know God. hit the hit the hit the algorithms let your boy know <laughs> that that just sounds <laughs> Oh man, I don't like that. I don't like that uh, one bit. <laughs> Listen, man, you've been in a committed relationship for years. It's my turn. Yeah, it's it's been good. Um, I started going to the gym a lot more. Um, the thing I've noticed 
with my job, I spend a lot of time sitting around doing a lot of nothing. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to, I'm, like, I'm not trying to get ripped. I'm not trying to do anything. I just want to be a little bit more active. So I'm I'm biking to work when I can. I, I got this brand new, like, electric bike, which, yeah. which, I mean, it's partly cheating, for sure. Um, Definitely. But sometimes you need that. <laughs> and, you know, going to the gym. So it's been, it's been good. Dan's finally going to get to the buff Shiba Inu. Uh, he's going to make good on his username from forever ago. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the amount of... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, working in, in customer service, you kind of have to be the buff she you know, for sure. You got to flex a little bit. Like, no, we don't have that available. You're, we're sold out. You have to do something. No, I can't. <laughs> I, I don't have the ability, but I can show you these triceps, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there it is. Just, just flexing on people. <laughs> hey, where's the bathroom? It's that way. <laughs> God damn it. Um, besides that, I mean, oh, I've been I've been trying to get more into making content. Um, so I've been working on this video project. Um, probably will eventually post it to YouTube, but it's mostly for myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what it the what it is about is so the former owner of the Patriots, so the first owner, Billy Sullivan. He owned the Patriots for several years. You know, he wasn't ever, I will say this, Billy Sullivan was not a good owner. Didn't really care about the team. Um, not a rich man by, for, you know, NFL owner standards. Um, you know, kind of let the Patriots be, midi- like, sit in mediocrity for several years. And his son, I forget his name right now, but he tried to get involved with the Jackson 5 uh, reunion tour back in like 1980, I think it was 1982. That's when they recorded at uh, the old Foxborough Stadium, right? No, you know what's funny? They never did it at, they never had this concert at Foxborough. Um, I thought that's where the recording was. Well, anyways, um, they, so Billy Sullivan got involved with this tour and basically went broke financing it. And because of it, they had to sell the team, which is- And that's where Robert Kraft stepped in? Well, there was a couple of change of ownerships. So there was um, the guy who owned Remington, and then there was another owner, and then Robert Kraft swooped in. And the kicker for it was the Sullivan family was in so much debt, they had to sell off the, what was called Schaefer Stadium or Foxborough Stadium at the time. And because they were so broke, Bill, not Bill, uh, Robert Kraft bought the land and bought the stadium and basically said, no, you can't have this here. I take control of all the events that are going on in Gillette Stadium that are non-football. So they, he basically forced their hand to not even have this Jackson 5 concert at Gillette Stadium or like not Gillette Stadium, uh, Foxborough Stadium. Then where did, where did the actual concert go? Because I, rem- I remember hearing about this taking place up in Massachusetts because it was like it was the big it was like it, it was a reunion tour right like yeah. it was a big huge thing like Michael had already been you know well, what Michael Jackson was 
Yeah, this was like, well, at the time, this was considered the thriller tour because like Michael Jackson hadn't done his real thriller tour. So he was going to perform and do all these like songs off of Thriller um, while they were going to do Jackson 5 songs. And yeah, it went to like Kansas City. It went to like a couple other stadiums like Arrowhead. But no, Robert Kraft was like, nah, you can't have it here. <laughs> we're going to have to hit the Wikipedia and figure out where it was actually recorded because I could have sworn that the recording says that it was done in Foxborough. That's crazy. It's a nuts story. And I've been trying to dive in as much as possible to this, like finding old like newspaper articles and like all these different reports. I, I can't wait to, I've been slowly building on it, but it sh- should be, it, take, give me some time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's um, a lot of, that's a lot lighter reading. That's a lot lighter reading than me the other day. We were so slow at work that I was sitting there like looking at Wikipedia articles and I forget what I started on, but something led me to the 9-11 Wikipedia article. Whoa. Yeah, I was reading that for like two hours, just going through like the minute by minute updates that I don't know why Wikipedia has that, but just craziness like they knew but they didn't know that that was going to happen and i don't know how much of that was due to conspiracy theorists because anybody can edit wikipedia but like bush the way that that article 11. reads is crazy <laughs> what did you say bush did 9-11 jet fuel jet, did not melt steel beams jet fuel does not <laughs> melt steel beams <laughs> so that's been the uh <laughs> so we've both gone down rabbit holes lately um yeah, how do you how do you recover from that? Um, so, like I said at the beginning, we've seen each other twice in person since the last time that we recorded. Um, I came up in November, so almost a month after uh, the last episode of the podcast. Yes, and we got some decent time. Got to see a couple of shows. Got to hang out, have some dinner, see some people. Um, what do you remember from that time that you want to share with the uh, with the Packy Run listenership? Um, let me see. We, I mean, the Menzingers was sick. Um, that was a very memorable show for sure. Uh, shout out Sean as well. Um, Turnstile was sick, you know, getting to see them again. Fantastic. Um, especially with my buddy. Yeah, buddy. Um, fake moshing on the side of the crowd because I talked to, I talked to big game before I came up. Um, talking to a lot of people down here where it was like, oh, I'm going to go see Turnstile. I'm going to go see them at like a Boston venue. Going to hop into uh, hop into the pit and get involved and have a good time while I can still see them in a GA venue. Um, and basically the, the Turnstile night, I, oh man, trains, planes, and automobiles to go see my friend Haley um, and get a couple of drinks and some food beforehand over in Alston. Yeah. Because um, I was hanging out with... I was hanging out with Justine and her friend Emily for a little bit before that. Uh, bailed out on them to go see my friend Haley. Had some drinks and then we were going to walk to Roadrunner and we ended up uh, taking an Uber over there because it was it was cold. Like, it was frigid outside. I remember that. Yeah. Um, so we hit up the... Uh, we hit up the old Uber app to get ourselves over there and walked into the venue, got my ticket over at Will Call, and you walked in the doors and I just remember like a C. It had to be, do you know what Roadrunner's cap is? 
think it's like 35,000, thir- not 35,000, <laughs> 3,500 or maybe like 4,000. Yeah, it's I was going to say it's there a huge had, venue. There had to be at least 2,000 people and it's it's all GA, right? Yeah, all GA. Yeah, I, I walked in and there was a sea of 2,000 people down on that floor, on the main floor. You're like, nope. And no it was way. right. It was right when Turnstile started, and I was like, "There's no, there's no way." Like, because there's no way I make it anywhere near the front. And if I'm in the middle of that crowd, and my back decides to give out, or I get hit the wrong way, or something, like that's that's it. So there was a group of like five or six of us that were all hanging out. Um, it was a pretty decent view, basically side stage that night. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a good view. Um, as somebody who works. <laughs> sells a lot of tickets for a music venue definitely not the best place for sound but view wise it was great yeah and that's one of the cool things about going to see like big room hardcore shows um like the last time i saw turnstile which i had the had the luxury of talking to you guys about on one of the previous episodes of the podcast i remember going and seeing them and getting like upper floor in between in between a couple of the monitors like decent sound i was down on the floor for a little bit because brooklyn bowl down here in nashville is not it's similar size to roadrunner up in boston but definitely smaller um so the more i moved around you know the sound kind of came and went but it is one of the kind of big advantages of going to see big room hardcore is it doesn't really matter where you are because you're still watching a hardcore band and the intensity and like the groove of a lot of those bands is what carries it it's not really about you know perfectly balanced sound and for sure that kind of thing like for example where i work um the best sound is up in the second balcony because sound travels up and that's where you would get like the best sound maybe not necessarily the best view because you're all the way up there but even even still i don't think the views up there are that bad um but for that kind of application and kind of that genre of music you want you're you're sitting down and you want to you want the sound for sure but hardcore you you don't you don't care you're watching a show yeah you're getting hyped up because you you know that they're never going to recreate the sound that you're hearing in your head, like the sound of the songs that you're there to see. It's more about seeing the actual performance and not really the sound itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, shot- uh, nope, go for it. No, what were you going to say? I was going to say, as far as as far as the Menzinger show, which was basically the night that I landed in Boston. Um, Super cool. I know on our last episode, you had talked about going to Riot Fest. You had already seen the Menzingers play on the Impossible Past uh, in its entirety. Uh, it was my first time seeing them go and do that. And again, getting up on those kind of more balcony kind of sides of things, uh, I was still able to walk down the stairs. I got my <laughs> I got my crowd surf in on that night. Those days are past me. Yeah, I still... <sighs> I still want to I still want to act like I'm younger than I am but uh Fair. But no it was really cool talking to Sean um for the second time in this episode shout out Sean Harkins um it's really funny <coughs> really funny to watch a uh watch a kid that I grew up with where we keep, he keeps pretty good tabs on me. So I post about music and stuff and then he'll text me and be like, Oh man, that song was a ripper or whatever, uh, which actually happened just today. So it's really cool to see somebody who didn't necessarily grow up doing, you know, the show thing, getting in the pits and whatever, watching him. Was it the Mickey Rickshaw song? 
No, 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 no. Uh, Drug Church put out a new song, which, spoiler alert for my recommendations at the end of this episode, um, but he texted me today and he was like, oh yeah, by the way, <laughs> myopic rips. Like, yeah, dude. I haven't checked it, it out did, yet. No doubt. That band is, that that band continues to impress me, um, which is funny because they don't change that, they don't change their sound that often, but every time they put something out, it's like, it's new and it's just different enough that it keeps you engaged. I like I like that band a lot. Um, but yeah, no, shout out Sean Harkins for coming out with us on that night and for putting me up while I was up in Boston. We had a, uh, it was a good night just going to see one of my favorite bands of all time play probably one of my top five for favorite albums of all time. Yeah, I mean... Gotta love the the top uh the the ten year anniversary albums tours. Um, very stoked about those. I love those a lot. Um, there's one coming up that I I I cannot wait for, and it is a uh, Super Heaven. Yeah, that just got announced today. How how ridiculous is that? Well, well, I mean they they have the anniversary of that, but also they have the ten year anniversary tour, and one of the shows is in Boston and. When is that gig? That's up in May. (sighs) I texted you about this, bro. I said, yo, Super Heaven 10-year tour. Get up here. Man, I got to get up there in July and then again in October, too. Fuck it. Money's not real. (laughs) (laughs) I'll blow my savings this year. Who cares? Oh, boy. Let's let's just go gig. Uh, But, yeah, that was a good weekend. Um had to work a lot, unfortunately, because my schedule is always Tuesday through Saturdays. But, you know, happy to spend time with you. And that was a good time. And then this past weekend, yeah. not this past weekend, the, the weekend before, up in Lake George. Lake George, New York. Taking a quick moment to crack open the one beer that I have specifically for this episode. Yeah, Northern Runaways. They did a show up in North George, or not North George, um, Lake George, for the Winter Carnival. The Winter Carnival, kid. Except they they don't say it like that up in Lake George. No, 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 no. They are very... um, Once you get to that part of upstate, they are actually, like, surprising. They're surprisingly Midwestern. Um, They claim the North. They're... they're, It's weird, which is actually kind of the first, like, besides just the ketchup and stuff, uh, one of the big topics that I was hoping that you and I could kind of get into, um, and we'll get into, we'll get into why, you know, we got some decent time together, but we didn't really talk all that much about it. Um, unfiltered, no judgment thoughts from Dan Mayotte. Uh, how, how'd you feel? You got, you got like a gig and a half out of the Northern Runaways. What were your, what were your thoughts on my guys? And girl, sorry, Jordana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were killing it. They they know how to work a crowd, which that that is awesome. Um, you know, they. I feel like in that kind of environment and that kind of crowd, you have to play the favorites, and they they did an awesome job at it. Uh, they're all really talented musicians. Yeah, I think I think it was the first time outside of when I would play with Blumpkin Pie. I mean. You and I have a, you and I haven't spent a lot of time around like cover bands. No, I don't. I don't usually like. I I mean, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> no, you can. Uh, like I said, like I said, it's it's full bore here on the Packy Run. We can get into the hot take, the hot take chamber yeah, if we have to. But you're friends with them, and like, I want to be nice. I'm not. Gonna, yeah, they usually when I hear cover bands, I'm just like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, not yeah. really, not really impressed. Like, I'm not blown 
away. I'm kind of just like, you know, they're there. I'm just going to hang out and watch, drink my beer. But I was actually watching them and they were, they were actually really good. Yeah. They're, they're at a really interesting like point where, um, sometime this year they're about to drop this album and they're trying to make the pivot from a like cover band into full-blown originals and stuff, uh, which is super hard to do for a Nashville band where most of the bands here and around, like even if they have the name and the branding and everything else, they're, they're mostly just cover bands. They're trying to make that pivot. And it was cool to see them still generate like a decent amount of hype, even if they were coming up and playing three gigs of full-blown covers. They did like, and they worked the crowd. They did their thing. That was that was where I was most impressed with them on that weekend. And making they did some merch stuff and everything else that I think they were overdue for, uh, which was the reason that I was up. I was working the merch table and things like that. For sure, they're like they're getting there, and it, it it's a really interesting opportunity to watch these guys. Where I latched onto them initially because it was just like oh like you're doing the Broadway band thing, you're doing the cover band thing, but also you guys are like, I really respect you guys as musicians. And now to watch them make like make some moves and the next time they go up, they're talking about trying to play some original shows and do some things in clubs and stuff like that. It's like, okay, like they are, they, they know what this is. Well, I think for like a winter carnival, like a festival, know your audience. Most people are going to come in and just want to hear like a, uh, something familiar to them, which I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's knowing knowing who you're playing for is good. Yeah. And it's impressive to sell that much, push that much merch that weekend. Yeah. Like, that was that was a lot. Um, a lot of, I mean, there's bands who have been working for several years and they can't push merch like that for, for like three days. If they were playing three shows in three days, they wouldn't be able to make that much in merch for sure sell through all their their t-shirt inventory and everything else it was it was cool to be a part of so shout out to the those guys for uh for bringing me along i'm happy that i pulled the trigger on the flights and figured it out and then it provided opportunities to see you and justine and my parents and <clears throat> it was weird how many people uh have come down to see the band uh down here in nashville how many of those people were showing up and they had pre-ordered shirts or they were just coming through to say hi and everything else. Like it was, it was cool. It gave me, it gave me a little bit of that bite of like, Oh man, I, I, I wouldn't mind doing this kind of thing. If this could, if this could pay some bills, if I could get out and get in the van. Yeah, for sure. Our Lord and savior hadn't, <laughs> as our Lord and savior, Henry Rollins has said before, Oh man, if Henry, I could hop in the van and do it. Oh, Henry Rollins, man. <laughs> I'm I'm overdue for like a Henry Rollins binge. You know, I haven't watched him in a while and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, he's a little self-deprecating. A little too self-deprecating for me. I'm I'm okay with the self-deprecation. It's it's the um for me Rollins is like hardcore's version of Dave Grohl where he keeps flirting with this line of just being totally overexposed. Like anytime somebody talks about punk rock, anytime somebody talks about hardcore, Henry Rollins enters the conversation. And a lot of the times, especially where everybody is like making money off nostalgia and stuff, he just, he keeps showing up. 
and I'm never, I'm never outrightly mad to see him there, but when he does these interviews and stuff, most of the time I watch those interviews and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I watched that. Like I got this new insight. He had this new thing that he said that like really kind of like changed my thinking on this or whatever, the same right. way I feel about Dave Grohl. But like, again, the same way I feel about Dave Grohl, every time I see like Henry Rollins talks about punk rock, Dave Grohl talks about rock and roll. Every time I see one of those YouTube videos or whatever, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy again? Like, it's we like, couldn't oh, find oh, anybody? Oh, okay, boomer. Like, people were, you know, the lead up to the Super Bowl, and we've, we've got to get to a little bit of Pat's talk here in a minute. Um, lead up to the Super Bowl, Dave Grohl had like a, was it Crown Royal or whoever that he was part of the Super Bowl commercial for? I loved that commercial uh, because it, it just made me think of... Um, the Hot Ones episode where Dave Grohl gets Sean Evans completely trashed oh, yeah. <laughs> during, during oh, the yeah. interview. But again, it was one of those things where it's just like, Jesus Christ, like, of, of course, Dave Grohl is here. No, I thought like, it was I thought it was sick, though, because I'm like, no, but that's what I'm saying is that my immediate my immediate reaction to seeing like the thumbnail or whatever is like fucking Dave Grohl again. Are you kidding me? And then you watch it and you're like, fuck, I love this man. <laughs> Yeah, he's awesome. Sometimes a little too much, a little too boomery for me. Like, get off my, get off my lawn. Like, definitely. But that's everyone. I mean, we all eventually have some of those thoughts, I guess. Um. Anyways, let's talk hats. Where to start? Well, I think my prediction at the start of the season was 11 and six. We finished eight, eight and nine. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of really bad moments <laughs> this season. Just really bad football. I mean, I still, <coughs> I still stand by. I think, I think our defense was elite this year and was, um, it was kind of a shame to watch, the way our defense kept us in every single game when the offense just couldn't for the life of them get anything consistent going. Um, but there were, there were bright spots, there were flashes and I'm trying to find a way to sum it up in like a nice way for the, uh, for the listeners here. I think my takeaway from this season is it could have been worse. I'm going to, I'm going to play the Homer here and you, you can, you can, tear me a new one if you want to, but like it could have been worse. I think at the beginning of the season, I liked the idea on paper. I liked the idea of Matt Patricia and Joe judge. If I'm being totally honest, I liked the idea of somebody who was a defensive coordinator and then went to go be a head coach. Somebody like that calling plays for offense. I mean, they were two former head coaches. Yeah. Having, having that as your offensive coordinator is that kind of Belichick zig when you think I'm going to zag kind of deal where like, okay, maybe that somebody understand, maybe somebody who understands the defensive side of the ball so well might actually be able to cook up something in the offense that will kind of get defenses to stutter a little that won't, that they won't be expecting. Um, Mm -hmm. that's not how that went (laughs) at all. 
Well, we we know that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of games this season that could have gone either way. Uh, I'm looking at the Patriots schedule right now. Um, that Raiders game, that ending was a disaster. Um, there's nothing else to be said. Um, that was, oh, that was heartbreaking to watch. Um, that was the worst moment of this season. That's not a play that sums up this season, but that was that is the worst football play I've ever seen in my life. Just, yeah, that uh, that was the antithesis of situational football. Which in you the past, of- which in the past, like, say what you will, like, I mean, there we didn't, we've, there was a lot of times we didn't have the most talented team, but the difference was we were always well coached and we always knew the situation. Jacoby Myers throwing up that that lateral, that was that was not smart. Not enough for me to cut him from the team or not re-sign him, but like <coughs> that 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 was terrible. <laughs> that one kind of especially was biting for me because that was I got my Jacoby Myers jersey. <laughs> um I was wearing it for the first time during that game. So, ouch. To watch to watch him just make that absolute bonehead move. That was yeah, I think I think that was that play was kind of a kind of indicative of the season. It's like you have these flashes of greatness, you have these like moments moments not drives, not full games, but moments during games of this like mental toughness that yep. just didn't translate at all. And I mean, who's to say that we don't lose that game in overtime? Like, but I mean, we could say like everything that there is, but that but we so could have, we could have so easily played that game for overtime. Oh, absolutely. Instead of watching that happen. And I'm typically the person every single time an argument comes up with the Patriots or there's something that comes up of like, oh, that play lost the game. I'm usually like, well, they could have done X, Y, Z. They could have done this. Like, this yeah, pa- here's here's four to five examples throughout the game that actually shot us in the foot, not just this one play. And I mean, sure, there was moments in that game that that game particularly that we could have been better at. I mean, there was that bad call with the throw to the back of the end zone, which looked incomplete from to me at least. But we're oh, not the, gonna- the Hunter Henry catch. Not the Hunter Henry one. It was uh, by the Raiders. No, that was when they no, tied Hunter, tied the game up. The Hunter Henry catch was versus the Vikings. That was versus the Vikings, and that was yeah, another. That, that was one million percent a touchdown. That was another game that was very close, and we could have won. I mean, I was saying all year long the Vikings were kind of frauds. Yeah, and they're they're. <laughs> Their their playoff game kind of proved my point. Yeah. Um, so there was that those there was those two games those were winnable. Then there was the Bengals game, last minute meltdown. Yep. That, Just I mean, f- fell flat on our faces during that game. We had them. We had them in that game. And I mean, if we were to win at least two out of three of them, we would have been ten and seven in the playoffs. And I don't think I don't think. So for 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 two seasons it's been for me I think generally for two seasons it's been yeah we could have been playoffs we could have gone deeper in the playoffs we could have been whatever but you know the squad the people that are around Mac Jones Mac Jones himself being a rookie or being in his second year or whatever it's been um or no no, no Mac Jones in his rookie year and then Cam Newton you know coming in and trying to 
do whatever he could. Right. Basically for two seasons, it was, uh, you know, just look at the squad, look at the roster. Like we just don't have the talent. We don't have the X, Y, or Z. Um, yeah. I mean, we don't have, this, we don't have a top flight wide receiver, a weapon on offense. Um, this, this, but the, uh, there's the more to it. Dri- okay. The point that I, the point that I was driving at is this season. I don't think it's the squad. Like we have, like I said before, I think we had, if not one of the elite defenses in the NFL, we had a damn near close elite defense in the NFL. Our coaching was just dog shit. Like our play calls were not good. Our, you know, our assignments and when we would try to go a little bit off script or whatever, we didn't have the time. We didn't have the, like, I don't think it was the squad this year. I, I genuinely think that we just did not have the leadership to make what the good pieces that we had. We didn't, we didn't have the, we didn't have the coaching in place to elevate what we actually had this year. And I think that that's really kind of a shame. No. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I mean, Bill, I think me and you have been the biggest Bill Belichick apologists probably in, in, in Patriots fandom. Like we love Bill. We, yeah, we defend him. We're like, oh yeah, Matt, we defended the, like Matt Patricia and Joe Judge calling the offense. We're like, yeah, like, we, like I like, said at the beginning, I was sitting back and going like, oh, maybe this is actually genius. You know, a couple of, uh, you know, defense special teams kind of guys to turn around and throw a little bit of a wrench in the gears and figure like, I thought Bill had something up his sleeve and nope. usually <laughs> usually does. And I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, how how many wins is he away from Don Shula? Um, I don't know the exact number, but if we have very good seasons for the next two seasons, he's two seasons away, but probably closer to three or four from breaking the record. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think Bill is probably on a shorter leash, which is oh, I think I think I think anybody anybody that knows anything about the Patriots knew that when the season ticket holders got their um, unexpected letter from Robert Kraft about Gerard the Gerard Mayo um, extension, and you know we're in the hunt for new offensive coordinators and everything else. I think I think Bob Kraft has sat back and gone, yeah, we're not turning into the Washington fucking commanders we are like here's your here's something from you know the tippy top of the iceberg we are going we are making changes to this organization yeah and i i i I, i've said this before and i will always say it like say what you will about about robert Kraft, but robert Kraft loves this team he cares about this team he is a fan first robert Kraft has been a season ticket holder since 1972 yeah he he is he loves this team he like he wouldn't have been a manipulative little shit undercut undercutting billy sullivan not just to own this team i mean bill robert is going to do whatever it takes to make this team a winner yeah i think he's i think he's shown i think i think belichick got he has a shorter leash this year yeah (coughs) he got two or three seasons 
of, you know, you're, you're the genius. You were the guy that drafted Tom Brady and everybody else. You, you know, you, you made this dynasty happen. And I still do think that he made this dynasty happen. Um, but I think now, now the, we're going to see the front office step in this off season more than we've ever seen them do that. Um, I hope it's not a Red Sox situation. (laughs) Well, no, 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 no. Like, the Red Sox are a complete and utter shit show. That's God. I mean, that's not something we're going to get into. I don't. I don't want to make this a three-hour long podca- <laughs> podcast episode. Um, but I hope it's not. I hope it does. It's not. Doesn't turn into complete control. And I'm trying to come up with the right word. Um, there needs to be checks and balances. There oh, needs to be absolutely, but I hope it doesn't. Robert Kraft isn't undermining and being too involved. There's such thing as an owner being too involved with their team, and it kind of defeats the purpose of what everyone else does on with their job. Well, and be, and and that's not even exclusive to the owner. I think I think that's part of that's the front office in general. You know, the the GMs and everybody else. I think. I really think part of the reason why the Patriots had the success that they had was that the general manager was also the head coach. Um, so I don't, I don't want to get too far from that. I think it's, I think it's fitting, you know, three, almost four seasons in with, well, if we're being realistic, we're now getting closer to five seasons of not a lot of success in the franchise. I think it's fitting that the front office gets involved. Um, so, you know, as a fan of the Patriots, I appreciate that letter that the craft sent to season ticket holders and everybody else. Um, you don't, you don't want to see the front office get too, too involved with things that they are not dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Right. I don't want them to undermine, you know what I mean? Micromanage the situation. Yeah. Um, now you know, the, f- go ahead. Oh, no, what are you going to say? I was going to say the flip side of that coin as far as Boston teams are concerned, is the absolute ripper of a season that the Boston Bruins are having after three seasons of everybody in Boston wanting Don Sweeney's head on a spike outside of the garden. And now all of a sudden we're looking at statistically the best team in hockey with ridiculous trades and like decent management, a great head coach, head coaching replacement and everything else. Like the front office got real involved with the Bruins over the course of the past two seasons. And people were big, big, big mad about it. Right. And now, like I said, they are statistically the best team in hockey. Like how do you, so how do you in NFL terms, how do you square that circle? How do you find that middle ground of, you don't want the front office to be taking control and to, you know, overstep their bounds. But also there's a possibility that, you know, a little bit of a little bit of front office control can go a long way. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I already like their offseason from the start of it. Retaining Gerard Mayo is huge. Um, a lot of teams were looking at him and a lot of teams really wanted to hire him as a head coach. 
Um, say what you will about Bill O'Brien, the GM. Bill O'Brien, the GM, terrible. Bill O'Brien, the I mean, even he, even when he was the head coach of the Houston Texans, he is a and also offensive coordinator for Alabama. Like Bill O'Brien is good. He's a great offensive mind, and I'm excited to have him back on the staff. Yeah, so it's 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 one of the it's one of the most tired takes in football, I think. But as far as as far as Bill O'Brien is concerned, like he has experience with Mac Jones. Number one, <coughs> he knows he knows those kind of RPO plays and things that Jones really thrives on and really like kind of made a name for himself with in college. Um, and yeah, the head coaching stint in Texas wasn't that great, but like as far as the homers are concerned, as far as the the Patriots fans are concerned, um, I do think. Even on our level, even though everybody fucking mentions it every time somebody brings up Bill O'Brien, it's worth noting that this is the guy that brought the two tight end set, the Gronk and Aaron Hernandez fucking just tight ends as big, big, giant receivers like those those kind of plays were popularized and were most effective under Bill O'Brien with Bill Belichick as head coach. So Johnny Smith is kind of a, what have you done for me lately? But I feel like Hunter Henry has spent two seasons with this team of being like, man, if we could just set this guy up for success, he would blow some doors away. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, we were, we were I mean, saying it heading into this past season, I think in some of our preseason, you know, free agency draft time talks and whatever else, but I, I Bill O'Brien seems like the right answer, a, a, kind of an obvious answer, but arguably the right one. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at some of the teams that he coached in with the Houston Texans. So he brought the 2015 Texans to the playoffs. His quarterbacks on the roster were Brian Hoyer. That was his starting quarterback that year. Uh, known Patriots backup at this point in his career. Hoya the Destroyer. Um, he then in 2016 he had Tom Savage, Brock Osweiler, and Brandon Whedon. None of those quarterbacks are remarkable. He got he then got Deshaun Watson. Say what you will about Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is was a good quarterback. I don't know if he still is. We'll see. But he brought he brought he got Houston to at least four playoff games. Um, and then looking at Tom Brady's statistics under Bill O'Brien. So 2011, he was the offensive coordinator, and tw- 2009 and 2010, Bill O'Brien was the quarterbacks coach. Just doing a quick scroll of Brady's stats, and I mean to be fair, Tom Brady and Tom Brady and Mac Jones are not that close to one another. They're actually very different. Very, <laughs> very different. Um, 2009. This was the first season Brady came back from his big injury. He had 28 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. Not a bad first season back. Um, next season he had 36 touchdowns and four interceptions. And then 2011, 39 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Um, the last season he had 5,000 yards, 3,900 yards in 2010, and 4,000 like. 14, like 4,400 yards in 2009. He can get the most out of, of Mac, I think. And this is this is an important year for Mac to prove himself. Which I know was said a lot heading into this past season. Um, <coughs> I think people like me were, were really trying to be the optimists as far as Patricia and Judge were concerned and trying to think that maybe he would get to 
you know, he would get out of that sophomore slump on his own and get some different play calls out of people that weren't necessarily specifically offensive coaches. Um, I think this is, I think this season, people like me really kind of mean it where it's like, man, we're going to, we're going to really see, especially with Bill O'Brien, who's known to have a temper on him and stuff. I think we're, I, I think we're looking into either a really, truly like great do or die season, or we're going to walk out of the season and go, yeah, this is not the guy. This is not the franchise quarterback. This is, I think this is the season where we find out. And I'm not saying that it has to result in like a Super Bowl or something as much as I would love to see that. Um, The expectations are tempered, but it's like, you know, do we have actual greatness on our hands or are we still back to the drawing board? And if it's the latter, if we're back to the drawing board, what does that mean for Bill Belichick? Because I feel like I feel like Belichick needs one more Super Bowl ring before he considers retiring. And if he's not going to do it with Mac Jones, I'm not entirely sure that he finds that success with the Patriots. Like that might be yeah. that might be too pie in the sky for this particular episode of the podcast. But man, if Mac Jones is the guy, if Belichick is concerned about his legacy, he's got a tough tough mountain to summit no that's going to be a tough one um looking at i'm looking at some of bill o'brien's more like advanced stats of him being like a head coach um so for all the years he coached for for the houston texans he was in 2000 starting from 2014 he was 14th in points 21st in points, 28th in points, 17th in points scored, 11th in points scored in 2018, and then in 2019, 14th in points scored. Obviously, these don't tell the full story. There's a bunch of other factors that go into it, like your field positioning and how your defense is performing, which... Funny enough, the Patriots had the best field position in football this year. We were number one in field positioning this year. I think that's probably the most frustrating thing about this team. Last one of the frustrating things about the team last year. I think I think that would, I think that's up there. And I want to apologize if anybody can hear in uh, in my particular microphone. Um, <coughs> Noah. Um, close friend personal personal friend of the pod noah is building an ark outside right now so if you can hear the rain that's why um (laughs) but the i mean i didn't know the field positioning stat so that's that's cool to hear and kind of bites to hear my biggest thing was more just the defense it was just you know every time the patriots were playing the way that i was reacting to games i was reacting to massive defensive plays the way that i should have been reacting or most other football fans react to their team's offense making big plays right um that's kind of my biggest thing going into this season is i really really hope that our defense this year stays somewhat consistent and we need big changes on offense still which sucks to fucking say um and special teams needs a decent revamp. Although I'm very happy to see that Matthew Slater is going to be on again, even though, you know, kind of an unsung hero. He doesn't do a lot. He doesn't have like big, big, big plays anymore. Um, but having somebody like that to help guide the special teams, I think is going to help. But my biggest, yeah, it's good. my biggest thing this season was just like, this defense is so fucking good. This defense is so ridiculously good and brings me these moments of hype and nobody's playing up to this squad. So 
I want to see. That's <coughs> we'll see when we get into like preseason and stuff uh, how I feel. But that's probably my biggest thing right now is that I want to make sure that the defense continues to be as good as they have been. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I wasn't. I misspoke. We weren't first in field positioning. We were second in field positioning, off by one. But we had the second most turnovers this season with 30. We had the third most interceptions. On the flip side of that, we were 17th. We had the 17th most like turnovers as an offense. So middle of the pack. Yeah. And it proves in our record. Definitely. That's the story of this season. So. <sighs> Yep, big size, big size as far as that goes. Um, but the good news for you listeners is that you get to listen to us talk it out right now in an abbreviated form, <coughs> instead of uh, instead of what have, <laughs> what would have been many many frustrating episodes of the two of us just sitting back and going, "What the fuck is happening?" Over the yeah, course of the past I couple mean, months, we're not. <sighs> I mean, it's we will we will improve this year. Um, there's talks about T. Higgins, wide receiver from the Cincinnati Bengals, potentially being traded to the Patriots. Bring him in. Um, well, I heard a conflicting report today that the Bengals were like, "Fuck no, we're we're keeping them." I mean, how how are you going to pay T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase? You're probably not. Yeah, I mean... Unless they sign team-friendly deals. And speaking of team-friendly deals, um, what what's your read on the uh, on the Jacoby Myers situation? How badly do you want him back in a, pat, in a Pats uniform? <laughs> you see, I want him. Um, I, I, uh, man, um, I want him. I would probably do something like... I mean, right now, he's estimated to get a like a $12 million per year deal. Like, he's not going to be the richest contract in the NFL. I think 12 is kind of reasonable for someone like Jacoby Myers, to be honest. I'd give it to him. I'm just really hoping that he turns into like a Brady Edelman kind of player. I really hope that the the team takes precedence over the money, um, which is a lot to ask for a player. You know, get, get them checks if you can. But I would really like to see him sign some sort of team friendly deal and sit back and go, no, I want to be, I want to be here. I want to be with this team. I want to be with this quarterback. <laughs> Cause I, I mean, think it's it, not like we, it's not like we don't have the money. We, we like heading into this off season. I think we have like the eighth most cap space at this point. Um, and this is before re-signing anyone. We still have to re-sign potentially Jonathan Jones, uh, Damian Harrison's deal is expiring. Um, I think, I think they move on from Dame. I I'm not, be, I'm not surprised if we move on from Damian Harrison. I wouldn't be shocked either. Uh, to be honest, like that, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, there's a ton of different rumors flying around with the Patriots. I've heard talks about getting Orlando Brown from the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. Seen to replace that. Isaiah Wynn. Um, Isaiah Wynn's contract is also up. And if I'm being honest, I don't. I don't see it being re-signed. Yeah. He just hasn't been able to stay on the field. I think I I think Trent Brown's deal is up as well. If not, just fucking cut him, please. Yeah. Just just cut him. Swing and just miss. cut him. Um <coughs> if it can save you a little bit of money, cut him. Um I mean, we're still there's still lots of there's still lots that haven't hasn't happened yet in the NFL as far as people being released yet. 
Um, I know. I mean, if Jacoby Myers wants to sign a team friendly deal, I'm not going to say no to that, obviously, but I'm okay giving him like a four year, like $50 million deal with incentives. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, about half of that guaranteed, like, like, let's say like 30 million guaranteed or something like that. Like, I don't mind that. He, he serves that purpose. And I think that's an underrated position in football is that like safety blanket kind of deal especially with a quarterback that is still unfortunately kind of in like a transition period. I think you get, you get Jacoby back and you get him on, you get him on something that's reasonable, but still very much team friendly. And then you go and take a big swing on like T Higgins or somebody or Deandre Hopkins. Deandre Hopkins would be cool. Um, he's, He's a little bit older. I think there's a little bit, I'm a little apprehensive about going after him, like 31. That's not that old, but football terms and like, he, I mean, Bill Belichick loves him, but also yeah. Bill O'Brien hates him. That is true. Bill O'Brien, when trading him, compared him to Aaron Hernandez. That's... <laughs> that is true. You can look that Dep- up. It <laughs> depends on what way he was comparing him to Aaron Hernandez, I guess. It wasn't good. Let me tell you that. It was not good. It's it was not it was not a oh wow you have the athleticism like Aaron Hernandez. I mean any comparison to Aaron Hernandez, the man fucking murdered three people. And maybe more. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, Damn. I mean you'd still like to see you'd like you'd like to see somebody. I mean Tyquan Thornton had a good year and showed some real flashes of being like a real deep threat, but he's still kind of an unknown quantity. So if you can get if you can get Jacoby to sign a team friendly deal, right? There's your wide receiver number three. There's your safety blanket. There's your slot guy. And you can draft more slot guys. You can, you know, if you can get some somebody on decent money, you can get a couple more slot guys. Based on what I we mean, saw of Tyquan Thornton this season, he's got a he's got a deep ball. He's got a threat. So you know, let him develop into this would be his second year, I think. Yeah, this would be his second year. So let him develop and see where that's going. He's still on a rookie contract, you know. Throw him in and see if he can draw some more double coverages and stuff. But get a veteran, honest to God, wide receiver like threat and shore up the offensive line. So in reality, let's say just for the sake of argument, let's say that Kobe turns around and says, okay, I want to stay with the Patriots. I want to stay with Mac Jones. I like Bill Belichick's coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes with a team-friendly deal. Let's say that that's a reality that happens. Now you've got your safety blanket and you've got Tyquan Thornton still on a rookie deal who has shown a couple of times in NFL situations that he's capable of extending the field. Now you spend now you spend the eighth most the eighth most cap space in the NFL on shoring up your offensive line, maybe making a defensive move or two and making sure that you've got a special teams coach that knows how to call plays and is worth a damn at the very least. We're not talking that much money in NFL terms. That's not that's not a ridiculous amount. Your biggest spend is on a wide receiver number 1 in that case. That's a you've built you've built a pretty damn good team with probably what four to five free agency moves just free agency moves right 
free agency and front office coaching staff kind of moves. Four to five moves, and you've got a team that's like a threat. They're the Patriots are close. I think that I think that they're close. They've just they've really just got to make the right moves. We really do. Um, I was just looking at another statistic. The Patriots were sacked the fifteenth most in the NFL this past season. So shoring up the offensive line that's huge. Um, wide receiver. I think we have seen in recent memory, and even in like in the past, I can give some examples of an, uh, the power of an elite wide receiver can bring it to a quarterback. Look at Jalen Hurts this year with AJ Brown. I mean, Jalen Hurts was he was decent like last like the year before. He was on another level this year because of AJ Brown and also um, Devontae Smith. You look at. Josh Allen, like that third year, Stephon Diggs comes in. Josh Allen has taken over the league. All of a sudden, yeah. You look at the Miami Dolphins. <coughs> Tua before his head got smashed in several times. <laughs> I mean, Tyree Kill, a real threat. You look at someone like Kirk Cousins. With let's be honest, Kirk Cousins wouldn't be the same quarterback without Justin Jefferson. There's, there is. I mean, even if you want to go a little bit. It's it. This is still recent, but like this is in the history. Look at Tom Brady with Randy Moss. Well, and look at how his numbers were. Or Donovan McNabb with Terrell Owens. You get my point. I am, and I have several several examples here. And of to my the power of a great weapon. And to my point earlier, you get these you get these great leaps in your quarterbacks when you have that deep threat. When you have that guy that's just a magnet for the ball in the first place. Tom Brady with Gronk. But you also all, get all the- you also get not similar results, but you also get critical results <coughs> when your quarterback has their safety blanket, which is why I'm so in the camp of we got to find a way to keep Jacoby Myers. Because as much as I, we've had this conversation on the podcast before and everybody looks at me like I have three heads when I talk about it, I think Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer. I, I really do. But that's besides the point that I'm making. Look at Tom Brady with Julian Edelman. It's not like Julian Edelman was making, he made some of the, obviously made maybe four or five of the greatest catches in Super Bowl era history. Right. But his big role season in and season out was if Tom didn't have, if Tom didn't have that attitude of fuck it, Randy Moss is down there somewhere. Fuck it, Gronk is down there somewhere. He could look and see Julian it cutting in on the slant right through the middle of the field and you could get your dink and dunk play just done because he knew that his guy was going to be right there. You could get your five, 10 yards. You could get your first town because that guy was right there. Yep. And Jacoby Myers has shown that that is exactly the kind of wide receiver he is. So why wouldn't you try and keep that guy around? I hope that you no, try and keep that guy I, around. I think it's more dependent on how many money bags are in Kobe's eyes right now. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Um, you know, that's that's what we need. We need that top flight elite, that elite playmaker on offense. Um, second thing, we need help in the secondary. We need another corner desperately. There's talks about getting Jalen Ramsey. Fuck it. Let's find Ramsey- let's find a third guy in the defense whose last name is Jones. <laughs> let's go, let's go for the hat trick. <laughs> Why not? Jones, Jones, and Jones. Um, yeah, I mean, 
The law, op- the law offices of Jones, 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 and Jones. That's hilarious. But I'm I'm serious though. We do we do need another corner. That is des we desperately need that. Um, the league is getting faster. We need people that can keep up with these wide receivers and weapons. Um, edge, we're good. Defensive line, we are pretty good already. Um, just looking at some of our other numbers, like against the rush this year, we were sixth. We had a uh, we had the we were number one in allowing the least amount of rushing touchdowns. So I mean, like running backs were not really a factor against us. It was our passing offense that was terrible. We were 16th in allowing yards. We were 27th in allowing, we allowed the fifth amount of touchdowns, passing touchdowns. However, we did have the most, the third most interceptions, <laughs> but we actually have to cover them. Yeah. Um, also, it helps when you face the Jets twice a year and Zach um, Wilson <laughs> is their quarterback. Um, that's also pre- makes it inflated. So let's not kid ourselves. What an absolute trash heap like they just uh, they prove themselves once again to just be the butt fumble of organizations i mean we can hey at the end of the day we're not the jets at least we're not the jets baby and people were like oh the jets are going to be better than the patriots this year we're going to finish dead last in our division wrong no <laughs> wrong no that is wrong Oh well, I did. I did say that the the Dolphins we would finish second in the division to ahead of the Dolphins. Not quite. They got us by one game. Yeah. Is it really like? Are they really that much better than us? No. Although I do like Mike McDaniel's. I I like his mic'd up moments. Yeah, he's yeah. They have a. He's uh, hilarious. He's got he's got a little bit. Of, he's got a little bit of Belichick in him. If if I if I had to play <laughs> for a coach in the nfl i would probably want to coat i would probably want to play for mike mcdaniels he seems like a fun guy definitely (sighs) so that's it for patriots talk i guess yeah um i'd be remiss if i did not once again mention uh the bruins are the best team in hockey dan that's great the celtics are the best team in uh, in basketball and the red sox are a garbage garbage. fire (laughs) and garbage fire dumpster fire because Larry Lacchino, um, no, 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 John, um, whatever, whatever. They, they don't care about the team. Yeah, they don't. They don't care about the team. They want to. They want to be a small market team. But guess what, motherfuckers? We're a big market team. Act like it. This is. This you have is, all. This is Boston, Massachusetts. It's, it's. Act like it. It's. It's fucking embarrassing yeah you don't you give xander bogarts a bad offer an insulting offer he fucked off like don orsello to san diego it's here uh, my perspective on it it's saying something i moved down i moved down here shortly after the patriots lost the super bowl to the eagles i was down here when the bruins had a heartbreaker in the Stanley Cup final, game seven of the Stanley Cup final. Yep. Like I was here when the Red Sox were struggling to get through a World Series. I have never, like it it invites a lot of shit talking wearing Boston hats, Boston jerseys, Boston whatever. Like people love to shit talk. Wearing a Red Sox, wearing Red Sox stuff right now, I've never been in a position where somebody's been like, oh man, 
Boston poverty franchise and I haven't been able to look at them and be like, fuck you. Like you're, you know, you hate us because you ain't us kind of attitude. I've worn my Red Sox hat around and there have been people that have been like, what is going on with you guys? And it's the first time in my life where I've, the first time in my, like in my waking life where I've ever had to look at them and be like, I don't know. Like I did, I do not understand. It is absolutely pitiful. I don't claim this team. I will not watch them. I will not go to games. I will not wear anything Red Sox related. I have right now I'm looking at a 2004 World Series uh, pennant and a Jerry Remy patch that I have. Hey, thanks for mine, by the way. Yeah, no problem. Um, But I have those up because of, well, first I I paid for them, but but two. Um, like that just reminds me of my childhood, but I, I'm not wearing anything Red Sox related, like not until either John Henry sells the team or time bloom is out. Like I am not co-signing on this. Like I am not, I'm not putting, I, you have said this all the time. You say this all the time on the podcast, put your money where your mouth is. I say it all the time in my waking life too. (laughs) You say like shout out, like, shout um, out to my ex girlfriend. Was it pay pay with your dollar? <laughs> yeah, put put or, your um, money put your money where your mouth is, and you know vote with your dollar. Vote with your dollar. I don't support this team. I'm not putting a dollar in. Well, all things being fair, you know we we just spent hours talking about the Patriots, and I'm the same way. I re, I uh, I refuse I refuse to watch the NFL in a legal way because. Roger Goodell is a fucking clown and I'm anything that I can do to steal a dollar out of his wallet. I will try and do, um, that's my way of voting with my dollar. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't have a lot of ways in the first place where I could watch and support the Red Sox, but you know, I, I definitely appreciate where you're coming from. Like this is, this is not a small market team. This is not a, this is not, this is not a team or a fan base to be trifled with. And they are not they're not going for it. There's again, I, I'm, I'm just going to keep bringing up the Bruins because I, uh, God, they are giving me life right now. Um, as much animosity as I had for Don Sweeney, there was the little voice in the back of my head where it was like, all right, this guy, like this guy cares about the team. He's trying his best. I don't think he, I, I didn't think that he was doing a particularly good job. I'm a little bit in the middle right now where maybe I wasn't seeing the big picture, but I'm still thinking that maybe he just got kind of, I think maybe he just got lucky with some of the trades that he's made and the way that he's moved draft picks and stuff. But like it took a year and a half of me questioning Don Sweeney before I was like, okay, maybe we can give him a little bit of leeway, figure things out. How many years has it been with the Red Sox at this point where it's just, you are, well, stop, stop trying to do whatever the fuck you're doing. Treat this treat, which is ridiculous. Treat your own team with respect. This is insane. And I think it's easy for us I, I mean, yeah, you don't want to get think, too Monday morning quarterback. Well, 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 I think a lot of people don't have a lot of sympathy for Red Sox fans because definitely we have, not. Like we have been successful. We have we have been successful these past 20 years. 
let's be honest, mm-hmm. we've won four different World Series in that span, um, sprinkled in with some mediocrity years, but I mean, at least after the disaster of like 2012, we went for it. We, we bet they built that team up and we were good again. I don't need them to sign a huge free agent. I don't like, that's not the point. I want them to retain people. You know what I mean? Like I, that's what I wanted. I want, I want to feel I want to feel like they're actually care about the team instead of John Henry just wants to buy another sports team. And not even as a, not even obviously like part of it is being a fan for both of us, but it's not, it's not even as a fan. It's as like, it's a community. Like the, the Red Sox are a pillar of the Boston community. And I, ex- they are. I expect them to be treated as such. Here's a, here's a, welcome to the way my mind works. Um, <clears throat> how do you feel about government center? Like the building, the, the eggshell, like government center. Oh, it's hideous. It's, it's probably the, one of the worst buildings ever. But it's but, a, but it's, have you ever, well, so. I would never knock it down though. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a part of the city. It's a part of the city. It's, you can talk all the shit you want. And those of us from Boston will talk as much shit as we want about that. You know, uh, the, it's an eyesore, but also that's government fucking center and you will treat it as such. And that's yeah. that, that attitude as far as ownership and leadership in the Red Sox organization goes seems to be missing when it comes like as far down as to individual players and as far up as I guess just the it, it, there's like an air of arrogance about Heim Bloom like there's a it, yep. like you're this is like this is this is the city and I've got I've got no love for Sitgo I have no love for fucking big oil companies gas station conglomerate fucking bullshit but you knock down that Sitgo sign and I'm gonna go there and chain myself to that shit yeah and i absolutely that's the way that a lot of people feel about the red sox organization and it does not feel i think that's big i think that's people's biggest issue is that it does not feel like the leadership team of the red sox is anywhere near that kind of feeling about this team it's it's like a plant use this as like an analogy like you water it you feed it you give it sunlight it's going to be alive for a while right yep. at least most most plants hopefully <laughs> i tend to kill <laughs> the plants. plan uh, so you do that and you keep track of it you you know eventually it grows a new leaf it grows maybe like a fruit something like that if if you stop watering it after you reap the rewards of it what is it going to do gonna just die oh my fucking god she fucking did and that is what this team is at this point they are they are withering on the vine right now you know i one of my favorite things about my commute when i am biking on saturday morning to my job my favorite part is going down Lansdowne Street, biking down that huge street. I have Fenway on one side. I have the House of Blues on the other one. I'm passing by the Sitgo sign. That's one of my favorite moments of my morning commute. I'm still going to do that commute, 
but it's hard when you're looking at that, <laughs> you're looking at that stadium and you're going, the most exciting thing happening in there is that the Foo Fighters are coming to town again this summer. <laughs> or Fallout Boy, which I did buy tickets for that. So Oh shit, did you really? I did buy tickets for the for Fallout Boy. So Hey man, secondary recommendation, and we'll get to those in a few. But if you haven't listened to the two new Fallout Boy songs, they're they're still a pop band, but name me another band in guitar music that's not a legacy act that's making pop rock like that man they're they're killing it um yeah that's the most exciting thing that's happening in that stadium anytime soon um which sucks but agreed john henry sell the team or or fire high bloom Fireheim Bloom, get get some new blood in there. Get somebody that like find some members of the 2004 team that haven't like destroyed their legacies. See if you can convince them to do some Ooh, front office shit. And that's tough. Yeah, yeah have, one one by one, they're all fucking falling apart. David Ortiz, have, be the president of the Red Sox. Fuck, you're I mean, the last one left. Loves, I mean, everyone loves David Ortiz. Um, yeah. I, What's Nomar doing? Fucking get him in there, Pedro. Get. I think no more. I think no more is calling games at this point. Uh, um, you might be right. I think he. I, I think he's doing some of that. Some some co- color commentator or whatever. Um. Yeah, yeah but I mean, nobody's have, ever going to do color commentary the way that Jack Edwards does it for the Bruins. So fuck it. Give up that career. Come run the Red Sox because fuck they need it. And, <laughs> who's who's better, uh, Edwards or uh, Zolak? Oh, 100% Edwards. Zolak, Zolak has his moments. Zolak has, I mean, Zolak was, uh, Zolak was the one with unicorns, show ponies, where's the beef? I mean, that's an all-time yeah. great call. But Jack Edwards, ev- even when the Bruins are losing, like, I don't care. I know, I know that people have their opinions of what, like, you know, sports commentators are supposed to sound like or whatever. Jack Edwards is just 1 million percent, like, the biggest Bruins fan. And it's a joy to listen to him just go absolutely unhinged whenever something fun happens jack i i love jack edwards that's the thing like people who are fans are always a little bit they're, they're way more invested in it like well, it's an like it, don like don orcello don orcello grew up in melrose he was a lifelong red sox fan yeah he it, was committed as fuck it's until a, the red sox screwed him it's a it's another it's another thing where it's like I've talked to a bunch of people about this. Like it's another reason why I've, especially over the course of the past, probably 10 years, I've just become such a diehard hockey fan. I love one of the, one of the little things that I love so much is the different broadcasts. Like you open up ESPN and you can get the home or the away broadcast. And depending on who you're listening to, you're getting a completely different commentary, but you always get like the straight guy who's calling, you know, and Zacha to Eric Halla to and he sets up the shot and no oh, he misses like you get the you get the play by play and then you always get on the home stream you get this color commentator who is just a die hard fan of the team and it's so much more hype like last night 4.3 seconds left in the first overtime period and the Bruins pull it out 4 to 3 against uh Edmonton I think and Jack Edwards losing his mind at the fact that Charlie McAvoy a defenseman snipes a shot 
like the 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 over the top just like oh my god evil scientists laugh the whole thing that's so much more fun to listen to than fucking you know i love the nfl i watch i watch way more nfl than i watch pretty much any other sport when it's on but like the the commentary is just not the commentary is not the same when you're watching the same broadcast and they've got to try and make their way between you know this team and that team and be politically correct about whoever you know whoever's on the field and everything else like it gets boring like i really think that a lot of these i think a lot of these other sports have figured out that part of the broadcasting thing a lot better than the nfl has yeah, I can see that for sure. <sighs> Should we move into some recommendations? Yeah, unless you got anything else that you want to add for the record. No, I have nothing else to add. Maybe I will end up watching a Bruins game one of these days. Hey man, we're getting down the home stretch. This team doesn't show signs of stopping, so... I will probably end up... <coughs> I mean, I will say this. There is nothing more exciting than playoff hockey. Oh yeah. So I will probably, I will tune in to at least a game or two for sure. All right. Well, it's just, it's, it's a little tough because I don't, I don't have Nessun and I'm not paying for, I'm not paying $60 just to stream Nessun. Well, Nessun is on the ESPN stream, so we can get you a login. Please. And it comes with, it comes with Hulu without ads and Disney plus. Um, Ooh. Um, yeah, I guess my last point before recommendations is just nice to be back in this space. Nice to be recording and nice to see my friend the past, uh, back in November and a couple of weeks ago. Thanks for coming and hanging out. Of course. It was, uh, it was nice to hang out. Um, love, you know, I miss this. Yeah. I miss this, uh, this podcast, um, talking to my best friend and, um, just kind of shooting the shit and bullshitting for, oh man, our recording is on an hour and 45 minutes. Definitely. So, it's what so we do. it'll pr- probably be a little trimmed down <laughs> after this, but, um, you know, it is what it is recommendations um let me go first we've got um a new song by the band drug church it's called myopic um drug church great hardcore hardcore adjacent band from albany new york um usually when they put out a single they announce a new ep or an album or something within a month or two after that so there's some new stuff coming if i were a betting man um kind of political hardcore but like interpersonal political not like government political and pat kinlan also from self-defense family and he hosts a couple of different podcasts including axe to grind the hardcore podcast and uh worst possible timeline which is my personal favorite podcast um yeah he's got he's got a really cool voice a lot of barky but still some melody in there especially on the recorded material it's you know, that band is all about riffs and riffs and catchiness. And I'm a big fan. So that song came out today, uh, probably a day or two ago by the time you guys hear this. But Myopic by Drug Church, get in on it. And yeah, throw the band some money, whichever way you can, because I want to hear more from them. For sure. Also, shout out uh, WBZ. Yeah. For, um, <laughs> Being at the gig, that was really cool to see. Um, if you, you're not on TikTok or not on Instagram, um, it's somebody from WBZ. He 
does their like TikTok and he does like he, he has some pretty funny like TikTok videos, but he was at the show. So it was Drug Church, uh, Fiddlehead and Angel Dust. That was a really good show. So, yeah, shout out them. WBZ TV. Yes. Um, not sure if I made this recommendation in the past, but I'm going to make it again anyways, if, if I haven't, um, I have a group called City Morgue. Check them out. Um, check out the album Toxic Boogaloo or, uh, their volume two, um, all as good as dead. Um, they're, they're an interesting group. It's, it's a mix of hip hop and like, like hardcore. So it's like 808s and like these really heavy riffs with like screamy like rap vocals um it's it's fucking sick especially when you're at the gym and you're pumping iron it gets you that uh gives you that good energy love to hear it all right anything else before we close out this uh i think this is episode 67 uh no bye (laughs) bye forever nice to talk to you bye bye